Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, good morning, Celebration Church. You're feeling alive in the 325 this morning. Come on, we're in the house of God. We should get excited. Hey, um, if we have not had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Keenan Clark. I am uh, one of the pastors on staff here at Celebration Church, and it is such an honor and a privilege to get to share uh, God's word with you. And I just love being a part of this ministry, don't you? I love being a part of this house, serving under pastors Brandon and Krista. Can we show them some honor this morning? Come on. Thankful for you guys, everything that they do, helping us know God better and trust Him more. So many of us wouldn't be where we are with God today if it weren't for them leading us so faithfully. And I just want you to know, as their oldest son, that's a little nepotism at its finest, um, but I just want you guys to know, as the person who gets to do life the closest with them, they are the real deal. Um, sadly, I get to travel and preach all over the world, and I've met a lot of great leaders, and so many were people were great on a stage, but horrible when they got home. And I've seen that happen, I've seen it happen recently, and I'm so grateful that we serve a house where there's zero duplicity between what happens on this stage and what happens behind closed doors. They are the same people, they love the same Jesus, they preach the same message whether you're here or you're not. And so I just honor them and love them so much this morning. So put your hands together again for them, come on. Come on. Hey, um, I'm married, just so you know. Um, my wife is sitting on the front row. Give the people a wave, baby. Come on. That's what you're waving to me. Wave at them. Come on. That's my beautiful wife, Beth. Uh, you just have to believe it in faith. She's there. I promise you. Um, but we have the privilege of overseeing our young adult ministry, which Shameless Pug meets on Thursday nights at 730. If you are of the ages of 17... And up is what we say. Uh, 7.30 on Thursday nights we meet. We have a full band, preach a full message, and it's usually a really great time. We have anywhere from 140 to 180 uh, college students here every single Thursday, and God's really doing something. So I want you guys to be a part of it. Um, That'll kick back up in 2022. But this morning, you and I are about to bust open God's word. Is that cool? You'll get there. You'll get there. If you're new to Celebration Church, we've been in a sermon series um, recently in this season that we are simply calling uh, Capiche Navidad. And some of you are like, yo, this church doesn't know anything, okay? That is not how the song goes. Okay, we get it. We understand. Quiet, Karen. Quiet, okay? But um, a a while back, my youngest sister, Preslin, was uh, walking around the house, and she was singing to herself, Capiche Navidad, over and over. And obviously, she has no idea what those two words mean. Um, But Pastor Brandon overheard her, and he just thought that was an amazing uh, Christmas series title. Uh, Because whether you know it or not, capiche is an Italian slang word that means, do you understand? And then, of course, Navidad is Spanish for Christmas. And the big idea behind this series is, do you understand Christmas? Do you understand Christmas? Because I find it's really hard to celebrate something you don't understand. It's not until we understand Christmas that we can begin to truly step in and celebrate everything that Christmas means. And can I just let the cat out of the bag real quickly? Christmas is about a gift. I know that there's a lot of things that we've made Christmas about over the years. We've got tinsel, we've got wreaths, we've got Santa, we've got lights, but can we boil it down to one word? It was God giving a gift to you. And with that in mind, I want us to turn to a passage of scripture 
that is not typically used for a Christmas sermon, but I really believe God wants to use it this morning. First Timothy chapter four, verse 14. First Timothy chapter four, we'll read verse 14. This is what Paul writes to his young son in the faith, Timothy. He says this, do not neglect the gift. Ooh, there it is. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Oh, come on. That's some good stuff. If I ever get sad, I just do me some First Timothy chapter four and verse 14, and I'm back in the saddle again. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Paul is telling Timothy, and through telling Timothy, he is telling you this morning, do not neglect the gift that is in you. And over the next couple moments, now that you and I are gonna share, I promise to keep them painless and brief. I'm only gonna preach for about six and a half hours, okay? It's gonna be cool, be quick. I'm, I'm just kidding, I'm not going to. But over the next couple moments, I'm gonna preach a message that I'm simply calling this, don't neglect your gift. Don't neglect your gift. Is that cool? Hope so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you right now for the moments that we are gonna share together in your word and in your house. Lord, I thank you that you would come and do what I can't do. Lord, I can talk on this microphone, but only you can change a heart. Only you can save your people. And Lord, I pray that you would use this space to do what you long to do, and that's to meet us right where we are at. You're not asking us to meet you where you're at. You're asking us if we would allow you to meet us where we are at. And Lord, I pray that you would, by your grace, Lord, weasel your way into every little nook, cranny, pocket, corner, and crevice of the parts of our hearts we never thought you'd wanna visit. Lord, I thank you that today you've got a gift for us, and I pray that we'd be open to receive it. God, put me on like a glove this morning and go to work. Help me, help me reveal Jesus. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, and everybody said, come on. Amen, amen. Do you, do you have a favorite Christmas do you have a favorite Christmas? Um, I do, I do. And I understand that a lot of you, if you were to find or categorize your favorite Christmas, it would probably be based off of who you got to spend that Christmas with, where you got to spend that Christmas, the memories made during that Christmas season. And I'll be honest with you, I'm right there with you. Um, but my favorite Christmases, I categorize them as my favorite because of what I got, okay? I am up here to tell the truth and shame the devil this morning. I enjoy <laughs> getting me some gifts. Now, I'll be honest with you, I have matured. I'm a 26-year-old grown man with two chest hairs and one wife, okay? I enjoy... I enjoy giving gifts, okay, that my wife picks out and I swipe the card, okay? I do enjoy that, all right? But I really enjoy getting some gifts, okay? And so recently, I was beginning to reminisce because this, this season's pretty nostalgic for me. I, I love Christmas. And I just wanna say, give a quick caveat. I understand that this season is not nostalgic for everybody. Rather, it can be pretty painful for a lot of people. And that's the power of Christmas. Christmas had to happen because sometimes Christmas can be painful. And the Prince of Peace came at Christmas to be able to invade your pain. So even if this season isn't your favorite season, Season, it's still the season that we can find joy in because it's the season joy showed up in. I'm gonna preach before I preach. 
But I understand a lot of this, this season is not nostalgic, but it's super nostalgic for me. So I was beginning to go down, you know, memory lane, wherever that is. Okay, I was beginning to go down memory lane and I was going through, rifling through the different Christmases I've had over the last 26 years, okay? And all of a sudden I got to year 12 and I just kind of, I just kind of parked the car, man. I kind of parked the car. My 12 year old Christmas was my favorite Christmas. I'm gonna tell the truth right now. It was my favorite Christmas, and it's because of what I got when I was 12, okay? And just a brief history on 12-year-old Kenan, okay? 12-year-old Kenan wanted nothing more than to be a Jonas brother, okay? That is what 12-year-old Kenan that was his greatest prayer in life, okay, was to be a Jonas brother. I wanted to be Kenan Jonas, okay? God had a different plan, all right? And so consequently, when I was 12, I ended up asking um, for my parents for a guitar. Asked my parents for a guitar. And I remember I wanted this, I wanted an SG, okay, because Nick Jonas played an SG, right? And uh, I wanted a Gibson, but obviously they were balling on a ministry budget, and we, we weren't like pastors of a mega church or anything like that. So you can't get a Gibson. All right, so I was like, okay, what about an Epiphone SG? They're like, eh, we'll see. So all of a sudden, we begin to peruse the internet. We even go into some local pawn shops, and we find this SG that literally takes my breath away. I'm like, this is the guitar. You know, I'm like falling in love, okay? And uh, I never thought they would get me this guitar, but lo and behold, Christmas comes, and obviously, just you understand where the story's going, I got the guitar. But rather than telling you um, how this moment went when I opened the guitar, I figured I could do one better. We're actually about to watch 60 seconds of my 12-year-old Christmas. Can I go? Go. It's a box. Lay it, box. Lay it down. No, not that way, the other way. Strings been freshly tuned. Oh, I can't think. Is it my turn? How can I ever repay y'all? You can't. You're a kid. Just it's enjoy my... it. Learn how to play it. That's how you repay us. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Oh, come on, twelve-year-old Keenan in the flesh. My goodness, pray for that young man. Pray for him. You know, and I love that moment. That moment is extremely special personally to me, and I'm so glad it was ca caught on video. Uh, but recently, as I was, I was going over this message, and God literally put this moment of my life in my mind, and I remembered the exact conversation I had with my dad, and I remembered the first question that came out of my mouth. I'm not sure if you caught it, but the first question I asked after my initial being stoked about the guitar, I said, how can I repay you? How can I repay you? How can I pay this back? And you know, I think that is so indicative of many of us when it comes to the gift 
that God has given us in the person of Jesus or the gift that he placed on the inside of us before we were in our mother's womb. I think many of us, when it comes to getting the gift God has given us, our first knee-jerk response and question is, how am I gonna pay for this, okay? Like, how can I ever repay you? God, do you have like a pay-as-you-go plan? Like, God, how can I earn this gift? That's the question that I was asking. I think that's the question many of us ask is, God, how can I earn what you've given me? And you know, I just wanna let you know this morning that if you are responding that way to the gift of God he has given you, whether it be the gift of Jesus or the gifting he put on the inside of you, if you are responding with God, how can I ever earn this? I think the heavenly father is echoing exactly what my father said to me in that video. And it's, you can't. You're a kid. You can't. You're just a kid. But notice what he said. He said, here's what you can do. Learn how to play it. Learn how to play it. You see, I was focused on earning my gift when I needed to focus on learning my gift. It wasn't about me trying to earn my gift. What I needed to focus on was beginning to learn my gift. Can I tell you right now, your gift is way too expensive for you to ever think you could begin to earn it. Some of you are looking at me like, Kena, you don't even know me. This is my first time up in this church. You don't know, you don't know the gift inside of me. I don't gotta know your gift. I know where it came from. And your gift came from heaven and your gift is representative of where it came from. Can I tell you right now, your gift came from the ritziest place in the universe. Heaven's streets are literally laid with gold. The walls are made of jasper. The sea is as clear as crystal. The gates are made of pearl. And that, that place where they decide to pave the streets in gold and they use jasper as drywall, that is where your gift came from. I'm here to tell you, you're expensive. You are expensive. And there is no way you could ever begin to earn the gift that God's given you. God did not check your bank account before he bought your gift. Woo! God bought it according to his riches and glory, not yours. It's according to his riches, his glory, not yours. And listen to me, we have to make this delineation between earning and learning because if you are convinced you have to earn the gift God has given you, when you finally realize that you can't, you will neglect your gift. If you're convinced that you have to earn your gift, when you finally wake up, you have that aha moment and you realize I am never going to be able to do it you will neglect your gift altogether. And God's saying, hey, it was never your job to earn it. It's just your job to step in and by faith, begin to learn it. Begin to learn what I've put on the inside of you. Begin to learn the things that I've said about you. Begin to learn that you're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, the lender and not the borrower, a victor, never a victim. You gotta learn these things or else you'll try to earn these things. You know, I think this is exactly why Paul is encouraging his son in the faith, Timothy, hey, don't neglect the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Because can I tell you right now, the enemy can't destroy your gift. Can I just debunk that for you real quick? That's just an old religious wives tale. The enemy cannot destroy your gift. So what he tries to do is get you to neglect it. If he can't destroy it, he'll just get you to see it as inadequate. Set it aside, there's no value 
there. So this is why Paul is saying, hey, hey, don't, don't fall for that scheme. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. And can I just level the playing field? We've all <laughs> neglected our gift. There ain't a one of us in this place right now that's holy enough to say, I have never neglected the gift of God that's on me, Kenan. Here's the mic, bro. Take it. We have all neglected our gift. Whether it was for 15 minutes or if it was 15 years, we have all neglected our gift. And Paul is saying, just because you've neglected it before doesn't mean you have to neglect it anymore. Doesn't mean you have to neglect it today. It's from this day forward, my friend. The gift is still active. And I think many of us, when it comes to neglecting our gift, I think the reason many of us neglect it is because we're purely ignorant of it. We just are unaware that it's even there. You know, I am not of the impression that everybody walked into church believing there's a gift of God in me, brother. I don't think that for a second. I'd quicker assume you knew nothing about the gift of God in you. And many of us are going through life neglecting our gift just because we don't know it's even there. So now the question becomes, okay, if I've got a gift, but I don't know I got a gift, how do I know I've got a gift? How do I all of a sudden know it if I don't know it? And I love this because I think Paul gives us a really clear picture as to one of the quickest ways to wake up to the gift of God that's on your life in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. He told Timothy this. He said, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy through the laying on of hands of the eldership. How did Paul wake up? How did Timothy wake up to his gift? He had the people of God calling the gift of God out of him. I'm telling you right now, the quickest way to wake up to the gift of God that's on your life is to keep the people of God in your life. The quickest way to wake up to the gift of God that's in you is to keep the people of God around you. Can I tell you right now, I am a living testimony of this. I am so grateful that throughout my life, God has been faithful to put men and women, many of which are sitting in this room listening to me preach now, who stared in the eyes of that 12-year-old kid and called the things of God out on the inside of him. I am so faithful that God is more faithful to me to put faithful people in front of me. You gotta put the people of God, you gotta keep the people of God in your life because the people of God can see things in you you don't. Here's the problem. You have been lying to yourself for so long, you no longer know what's true about you. You have been lying to yourself for so long, you believe the lie. And that's why you need somebody who has not been privy to that little, that little talk in your head to begin to come up and say, no, no, this is what I see in you, young man. This is what I see in you, young woman. And notice they, it said they laid their hands on Timothy. Do you have anyone in your life that is living spiritually close enough to you to lay their hands on you? I know that's almost borderline illegal to talk about in 2021, laying their hands on you. Hopefully they got a six foot arm. <laughs> Man, do you have anybody in your life who is doing life close enough with you spiritually to begin to lay their hands and begin to mold you and shape you into the person God has called you to be? Timothy did. I'm so glad I did. But you know, I think a lot of us, if we're not just ignorant of it, I think a lot of us, we know we've got something, but we just don't really see what we have as a gift. We don't see, we know it's there, we know something's there, but we don't see it as a gift. And you know what the truth is? Joseph, the stepdad of Jesus, he did the same thing. 
I mean, like, I never read. You just didn't realize that was what's happening. I'll prove it to you. I came strapped. I came ready to prove it. Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. We'll go to verse 18. If we could throw that up. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is a Christmas story. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, here he is, to Joseph. Before they came together, you know what that means. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, listen to this part. Her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He resolved in his heart to divorce her quietly. Now notice, Mary and Joseph are sitting there. They are betrothed to be married. And all of a sudden, Mary pops pregnant. All of a sudden, Mary has has a baby growing on the inside of her. And Joseph looks at her like, it ain't mine. I know it ain't mine because I did not do what I would have to do in order for you to be due, okay? That kid ain't mine. What's going on? And notice, Joseph, notice this. Joseph responds to the immaculate conception and thinks, this is a reason for me to leave. This is the birth of Jesus. He responds to Jesus and thinks, this isn't a gift. This is a reason to get out. It didn't look like a gift at first. It looked like something else. And all of a sudden, notice what happened. Verse 20 happens. It says this. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her, the gift that is in you, is from the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, Joseph, son of David, because what is in her is of the Holy Spirit. Notice, God himself literally has to show up in a dream to Joseph and get him to stop before he walks out on what God's trying to give him. He is about to neglect his gift. He is trying to neglect the gift because he doesn't see it as a gift. Maybe you've got a gift and you just don't see it as a gift. And I really feel by the spirit right now, there are some people in here, you are on the verge of walking out on what God put in you. You are on the verge of walking out on what God put on the inside of you. And I'm telling you, I'm praying that what happened to Joe, you get a word from the Lord and that all of a sudden you begin to look through the lens of faith and you begin to see that that looks insignificant. It may still be in its infantile stage. It hasn't come to its fullest maturity yet. But all of a sudden, as it begins to grow and you don't try to earn it, but you try to learn it, all of a sudden you'll see that all along, it was a gift. Joseph is about to peace out when God's trying to bring peace in. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The prince of peace is coming in and Joseph is trying to peace out. You know, this is crazy. I didn't mention this in the first service, but this was actually why God put Joseph with Mary. Joseph is trying to leave her for the very reason God put him with her. I'll prove it to you. You know, there were lots of prophecies about the birth of the Messiah. One of which we all probably know it's a Christmas, it's something we quote a lot at Christmas, was that the Messiah, Jesus, would be born of a virgin. We know God did that through Mary, right? The Virgin Mary. But that wasn't the only prophetic word about the birth of the Messiah. It was also that he would be born into the house of David. That the Messiah wouldn't just be born of a virgin, but he'd be born into the house of David. Guess who's of the house of David? Joseph. Why do you think the angel reminded him who he's the son of? It says, Joseph, son of David, 
saying, hey, you're about to leave right before you find out why I sent you in. You're about to peace out on the very reason I put you with her in the first place. Some of you are about to give up on the very gift of God that is on the inside of you. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit uses this message. He uses somebody else. He begins to wake you up to the fact that it's not time to neglect your gift. Don't neglect your gift. See, I think another reason many of us do neglect our gift is for the simple fact that we just can't get over who we used to be. We just can't get over it. I don't deserve my gift because I've neglected my gift. We allow what we used to do to limit what we believe God can use us to do. We allow what we used to do to keep us from living out what God wants to use us to do. And listen to me, can I just remind you that, that forgiveness is not a reward? Forgiveness is not something you get after 60 days of sobriety. Forgiveness is not something you get. It's not this little merit badge after three years of not having to delete your search history every night. No, forgiveness is given the moment it is needed. And I'm telling you right now, our God is not for earning. He is forgiving. Forgiveness by definition is a gift. That's why the word give is in there, forgive. Forgiveness is forgiving. And there are some of you, you are trying to earn forgiveness when you just need to learn forgiveness. Some of you are trying to earn God's forgiveness when and say, you know, I need to do a few more good things to over, over, over analyze my bad things before I step into the God things. No, 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 no. Right now is the time to step into his mercies. Right now is the time to step into the gift of God that's been on your life, your whole life. You know, this is why I love Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 is such good medicine for me because it says this, the gift and the calling of God, they're irrevocable. The gift and the call of God are irrevocable. That means they can't be taken away. I love the way the message says it. It says they're in full warranty, never canceled. They're in full warranty, never canceled. I don't know about you, but in 2021, when we live in a world where people are getting canceled left and right, I'm so grateful I serve a God who gives a gift the world can't cancel. You didn't call me, you didn't gift me, you can't cancel me. I'm so grateful. Well, God's put on the inside of me, the world and the enemy can't take away, but here's the problem. Though the world and the enemy can't take it away, I can still neglect it. I can neglect the gift that's on my life. Can I tell you right now, let me free you. The gift on your life is not based on you. It's placed on you. The gift of God on your life is not based on you, my friend. It is placed on you. Righteousness is not based on you. It is placed on you. The love of God is not based on you. It is placed on you. The Prince of Peace is not based on you. He's placed on you. Joy is not based on you. It's placed on you. It's not up for you to live up to it. It's up for you to let it sit on your life and let it rest. Woo! This is the gift of God and it can never be canceled, but the problem is it can be neglected. You know, I think finally, one of the biggest reasons I think many of us, especially in the church, neglect our gift is because it's just not the gift we wanted. It's quiet up in here. It's not the gift we wanted. I wanted that gift. I know I got this gift, but seriously? That gift, why can't I be Kyle up there just singing his little heart out? 
leading people in worship. Why can't I be Braden Jowers who can bust a move like a white boy shouldn't be able to? Why didn't I get gifts that people, here it is, that people celebrate? Why didn't I get those gifts? And what we end up doing is we begin to feel inadequate about the gift of God that's in us because people celebrate the gift of God that's in them. We say, I wish I had that gift. And can I tell you right now, just because it's not the gift you wanted doesn't mean it's not the gift that's anointed. It may not be the gift you wanted, but I'm telling you right now, the gift God gave you is anointed. You know how I know it's anointed? He gave it to you. God only gives what he anoints. And if he gave you some other gift, it would have had a lesser anointing because it's not the first gift he wanted to give your life. Many of us, we neglect the gift that's on us because we want the gift that's on them. We neglect our gift because it's not the one that gets celebrated. We feel inadequate. And can I tell you right now, if you don't make you feel inadequate, someone will happily do it for you. <laughs> Ooh, someone will always come along who will happily, my goodness, my day's made, do it for you. Make you feel inadequate. And I honestly think this is exactly why Paul wrote to Timothy and told him not to neglect the gift that's on his life. You know, people tried to make Paul feel inadequate about the gift that was on his life. Oh, you didn't know that? You must have not read 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is literally titled this. It's called, Paul defends his ministry. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was reading my Bible and I was like, Paul had to defend his ministry, and, and notice he writes this in 2 Corinthians, which means he already wrote 1 Corinthians. And now Paul, to the people he already wrote a letter to, to the church he started, is having to defend the gift and the calling of God on his life because people are trying to cheapen it. If there is any clap at them about their spiritual resume, it's Paul. Paul has a long resume. Even before he got saved, he was impressive. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter three that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. He goes through all of these things. And guess what he says? He says, it counts for nothing. And evidently the church at Corinth agreed. Like, yeah, that don't mean squat. Not only that, Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel or Gamaliel, however you want to say it. And Gamaliel was a guru for the Pharisees. He was a guru in religious law. And, and Paul, before he was Paul, when he was Saul, he got to sit at the feet of Gamaliel and drink in his knowledge. This was a guy everyone would have paid big money to learn from. He was the dude everybody wanted to learn from. And Paul was tutored by Gamaliel. Not only that, but then all of a sudden, Paul gets saved. He becomes Paul, and he starts, he starts building the church. All of a sudden, we see him in Acts doing all these miraculous things. At one point, he is around a fire. He's shipwrecked on this island called Malta, and a snake jumps out of the fire, bites him on the hand, and Paul pulls a Taylor Swift and shakes it off into the fire. Paul just shakes it off like it's no problem. He's not bit, and people try to make him a god. Like, oh my gosh, he must be a god. Paul is a bad dude when it comes to living out the calling of God on your life. And even Paul had people try to make him feel inadequate. He started churches. He's already written 1 Corinthians, and now he's in 2 Corinthians having to defend his ministry. And this is what we see people are saying about him in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's throw it up, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 9. It says this, 
I do not want to seem to be be frightening you with my letters. Here's what they say. For some say, this is what people are saying. For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful. But in person, he is unimpressive. And his speaking amounts to nothing. This is what people are saying about the super apostle Paul. Saying, yeah, you can write, scribble a few things on a napkin, but uh, you ever heard the guy preach? (laughs) Boring! Evidently, Paul is the guest preacher you wish you would have known about before you invited your friend to church that Sunday. (laughs) I'm praying that ain't you today. (laughs) Paul is a horrible preacher. People hated listening to Paul. I'll prove it to you. Acts 20 actually shows us just how boring Paul was. Luke, who wrote the the, the book of Acts, kind of squeals on him a little bit in telling this story. And Paul in Acts 20 is preaching. He's preaching his little heart out, you know what I mean? And he's up there and he preaches for such a long time. He literally preaches till midnight that this young man named Eutychus is sitting in a window and this young man literally falls asleep during Paul's sermon. And not only that, once Eutychus falls asleep, he then falls out of that window. And he falls three stories to his death. I've never had anybody die while I was preaching. I'm just gonna throw that out there. My disclaimer, you're in good hands. Paul sees, oh my gosh, Eutychus just fell out the window. He's like, I'll be right back. He pauses his sermon, runs down three flights of stairs, sees Eutychus splattered all over the ground and raises Eutychus from the dead walks back upstairs and continues talking to everyone. Paul is a boring dude. And people are saying, yeah, he can write. He can jot some words down, but he can't preach. He's unimpressive. Paul is no doubt being being compared to somebody. And my best guess, the scriptures don't lay it out, but my best guess is that he's being compared to this guy named Apollos. Acts Acts tells us that Apollos preached in Corinth. So we have a really high likelihood that it was Apollos. And here's what you have to understand about Apollos. Apollos was one of Paul's contemporaries. He was a disciple of Jesus. But here's the thing about Apollos. Apollos could preach. Apollos could preach the paint off the walls, okay? They have to take up a new offering just for paint every single Sunday. I mean, this guy could preach. Your goosebumps had goosebumps while listening to Apollos. Every hand in the room went up when Apollos gave the altar call. I mean, people were weeping. This guy was riveting. They hang on his every word, a phenomenal orator. And people are no doubt thinking, Paul, I'd rather listen to Apollos. And here's the thing I began to think about is the fact that it may be if Paul had been able to preach like Apollos, he never would have picked up a pen and wrote like Paul. Maybe if Paul had been able to preach as effectively as Apollos, he never would have written 23% of the New Testament. Maybe if Paul had been able to preach with power, he never would have written scripture. I'm here to tell you, maybe what God left out of you is just as important as what he put in you. Maybe what God didn't put in is a glowing neon sign to what he did put in. Because if you would have put in, if he would have put in what you wanted, you'd, you would neglect what he anointed. And all of a sudden, because Paul couldn't preach, he found a pen and found his gift and he began to write. And he didn't let some church in Corinth tell him he wasn't anointed to do what God had called him to do. 
I'm so grateful, woo, I'm so grateful. Paul did not neglect his gift because listen to me, had Paul not been faithful to write it, we wouldn't be able to read it. We wouldn't be able to read Romans 8, 1 that says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We wouldn't be able to read 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that says if, there, if therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all has come new. Woo! Had Paul, not, had Paul neglected it, I would have never read it. And I was changed when I read it. Maybe the gift people are acting as it is inadequate is actually the gift God is going to use to keep on blessing generation after generation after generation. I'll tell you right now, who was more effective, Paul or Apollos? Apollos' words died with him and all who heard him. Paul's words are preaching to us today. Maybe the gift that seems small now is actually the gift that counts in heaven. And do not neglect the gift of God that is in you. And I love Paul. He wrote a scripture to tell us what gift was in us. Colossians chapter one, verse 27 says this. Colossians chapter one, verse 27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you. What's your gift? It's not your singing voice. It's not your entrepreneurial mind. It's not the fact that you can mother. It's not the fact that you can preach. It's not the fact that you can crunch some numbers. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm so grateful Paul used his gift to point to the gift. And that's all God's asking you to do is would you dare to not neglect your gift to, and use it to point people to the gift, the gift that's in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, Romans 8, 19 says this. It says that the earth, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The earth is waiting. Can I give you the Kenan Clark version of that verse? The earth is waiting for you to stop neglecting your gifting. The earth is waiting for you to stop neglecting your gifting. I love the way the Passion version says it. It says this, let's throw it up. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of, of God's glorious sons and daughters. People are waiting for you to stop neglecting your gift. And it's time, the reason that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory is because hopefully if Christ is in you, <laughs> you'll let him out. Christ in you, the hope of glory, we're hoping that there's when you begin to let the glory that's in you come out of you, when you finally quit neglecting the gift that's on your life and you say, Jesus, I know I'm inadequate. I know I don't have it all together. I know I don't know up from down, left from right, right from wrong, but I know you and I wanna let you out. I'm telling you, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.